It's time for class. Civics just doesn't begin and end on election day. This is Sunday Civics, the home for the civically engaged with political strategist L. Joy Williams on Sirius XM's Urban View. Welcome, welcome, welcome to Sunday Civics. I am your host, L. Joy Williams, your civics teacher and your neighborhood political strategist. And I am so glad that you made it to class. This morning, you know, I'm going to be honest with you. This week, President Joe Biden signed a law making Juneteenth an official federal holiday. It's passed by Congress, went up to the president's desk. They had a whole fancy reception. Usher was there. And we now have a new federal holiday and people were talking about what days they're, uh, what day they're getting off, what they're going to do, making jokes on social media about three-fifths off sales. And, you know, I can admit that my first, that my first hearing about this of having a holiday, I was, and still am skeptical, like, you know, thinking no one asked for this, but I corrected myself on social media. There was someone who asked for this, Ms. Opal Lee, who has been organizing and advocating for this for some time, along with a number of individuals and organizations based out of Texas. And now we find ourselves at a place where there is a federal holiday for Juneteenth, but what is it? What should we feel about it? And what is the connection with this country and uh, people of African descent. And I knew I wasn't the best person to talk about this solely. I knew I did not have the experience. I did not have the scholarship. I did not have the talent to discuss this in detail. And so I took to my community on social media and asked for some folks to come for us to have this conversation. And then I have a special, special surprise for you later on. But I want to bring into the conversation first some individuals that I believe will be able to guide us through this conversation as we talk about what to America is Juneteenth. And so I'm going to begin first with Melinda Price, who is the William L. Matthews Jr. Professor of Law and uh, Professor of Humanities. And she's been in the past, the director of the Gaines Center for the Humanities. Thank you so very much, Melinda, for this quick, <laughs> this quick ask to come before us. And also joining us, I believe you know her. Not sure. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe. But Melanie Price, who is an endowed professor of political science at Prairie View AM. I think you went there too you know, at Prairie View A&M University. And she's also the principal investigator for their African-American studies initiative. I'm going to start with the both of you and just, you know, your sisters will get, <laughs> yes, specifically. Before we bring in our next guest, I, Melanie, I'm going to start with you where we start with all of our guests just to get you acclimated to the Sunday civics classroom. What was your first civic action? I wonder if Melinda will pick the same thing, but for me, my earliest member mem memory of political participation is going to vote with my mom. She would let us come into the little booth with her and, you know, there were buttons. She would let us push the buttons like we were very much involved. Looking back on it, it was probably because there was no babysitter. But at the time, it felt like she was really trying to introduce me <laughs> to the political process. And like I attribute that to the reason why I study politics now. Melinda, do you share the same? I mean... Of course, I was there with her, but 
<laughs> I was sweating bullets, hoping that we would not pick the same thing. Oh, good. Although, although I do remember that and carry that tradition on with my own child, who I'm afraid one day on these electronic voting machines will turn me into a Republican. But so far, <laughs> so good. Um, but I was thinking when we were both students at Prairie View A&M University, and we lobbied um, our legislature on on behalf of Gary Graham. Who was a, who was convicted of capital murder at 17 years old and executed by um, the state of Texas? And if he were alive today, would be ineligible for execution because we no longer execute people under 18. Um, and it inspires the work that I do. So I went on to law school um, and I studied, worked in the capital punishment clinic, and have written a book about um, the death penalty and why it lingers in our sort of civic imagination. Mm. I'm sure we're going to have you back, Melinda, to talk in depth about that. Most recently, I saw a story and it just made me mad for the entire day. I was just inconsolable um, when the story of a, a, a man who was sentenced to death, he was executed. And then just a couple of months ago, they have new DNA evidence and it wasn't him at all. And I was like, this is why I cannot, <laughs> like, I do not believe it. It's just like, there is no certainty. There is no absolute, you know, um, certainty in these um, if, things. So we have to have you back to have a whole deep dive conversation on that. If doctors made as many errors as we have made in capital convictions, everyone would be treating themselves at home. Oh. Oh my goodness. All right. That's, whew, that's for another show, but yep. I do have another guest to bring on. I have like all of the guests today. Um, Shadria Labouvier is also joining us. She's an American curator and journalist. We're going to have her on again too, because she is the first black curator, the first black woman and the first person of Cuban descent to curate an exhibition for Guggenheim. And we have a whole, you know, conversation to have about that coming up. But Shadra, thank you so much for joining us. And why don't you share with us the story of your first civic action? Well, thank you for having me, Joy. And thank you for, I'm really excited to be in conversation with such amazing uh, thinkers and scholars as Melinda uh, and Melanie. I don't know their work directly, but, you know, I, I see it kind of percolating in the, in the ether. Um, my first civic engagement. Um, I don't know if this counts, but well, so my grandfather was a rancher and um, I remember going to a group like a, like a voting group that they were, they were all getting together to talk about in the nineties, like development and um, you know, taxes and how like this way of ranching was about to disappear. So, uh, and they were kind of figuring out how could they organize I don't know what happened, but I do remember going to that meeting with him and, you know, and basically it was a union meeting without it being formal. So I guess that would probably be one of my earliest memories. Does that count? Oh, absolutely. <laughs> you know, it all, it, it all counts. Um, yeah, my, and yeah, my voting I think elementary voting. So it's not as much fun. Mm -hmm. as this is very stereotypical, but our grandfather was also a rancher. Like, although we grew up in large urban areas, you have yeah. now 
three black women who are descended from black cowboys. Um, look at this. Look at how the universe comes together. I love black people. How we just like, you know, <laughs> come together in this last minute conversation on Juneteenth. But, you know, first, I want to begin at the beginning. Right. We're now at the point, which I said in the beginning, where now a federal holiday, Juneteenth is a federal holiday. I must admit, and I said this to Shadrio on the um, Shadrio on the phone earlier, I didn't grow up participating in Juneteenth festivities. I didn't learn about it until college. And, and I was an Africana studies, you know, major with political science. So that's when I kind of began to hear more about it. But there's not a big tradition of it here in New York, at least that I know of, right? And when I learned about it, it was very much a this happens in Texas, this happens in, you know, these places and not so much here. And for me, I was fine with that. Like I wasn't necessary for me to adopt it and take it on in order to prove my blackness in order, you know, to be, you know, the African-American studies woke person, you know, work person, because I'm also aware that there are different regional holidays and experiences and cultural uh, meaning and festivities that happen in order for people to celebrate who they are and celebrate their connection to history and to people of African descent, right? Like I'm not in a rush to find every holiday and, and, and cultural festival from Nigeria now that I know our, my ancestors are from Nigeria, right? Like there is culture that culture is what I believe that you experience, you personally experience versus heritage, which is something that you came from. And I know you guys are professors and you could probably go down that, that road, but the three of you have some distinct connection to Juneteenth. So I wanted to start with you and maybe Shadria will start with you on your connection and your thoughts on this now being a federal holiday. Well, I mean, in terms of connection, um, I'm a ninth generation Texan, um, and my grandmother comes from uh, a founding family of Texas. They helped establish Caldwell County, and um, you know, they established the town that then became Martindale, made it inhabitable. Um, my grandmother also, uh, they have a military service that goes back to the uh, the French Indian War and the War of 1812 and um, the Texas-Mexican uh, War. So, uh, you know, my grandparent, my mother, my grandmother's family has been sort of literally like that family that's, or those families that are written out of the Texas narrative of the founding of Texas in 1836, which, you know, they've been in the state since before then. Um, and so I've been taking some time to go through the archives, go through cemeteries, and it's a lot of work, but it's it's meaningful work. Um, that being said, um, you know, grew up with Juneteenth. I remember when they were also calling it uh, Juneteenth Jubilee. Um, and so, and it was always very regionally specific. And I went to school on the East Coast and I remember people had no real context or, you know, I remember telling someone like, oh yes, no, enslaved people were freed like two years later. And they were like, that's not possible. The Emancipation Proclamation was 1863. So I think that um, both the personal history that weaves through the course of Texas history, but also, you know, as someone who studies 
archives, iconography, um, and forgotten histories. It's a really interesting time to be working, uh, a weird one, but an interesting time. Thank you. I think that's important context. And Melinda and Melanie, I know you also, your family has a personal connection on Juneteenth as well. So we're like, who's going to talk now? So, the, <laughs> um, so we are um, a fit, only five generations, Shadria. Um, but those <laughs> generations do date, date back to the period of enslavement. Our whole family understanding of where we come from and who we are is wrapped around Juneteenth. So my mother's grandmother, according to our family lore, was the first, was our first freeborn ancestor who was born two days after Juneteenth. So her birthday was on the June 21st. So even when we celebrated Juneteenth, when we talked about her, people would talk about her and they say, oh, grandma was born two days after the slaves were set free. So how we understand ourselves as free people, as black people is intimately tied to Juneteenth and what Juneteenth um, means. So we've always celebrated it our whole lives. Our aunts and uncles used to say that we get together on Juneteenth because that's when we celebrate emancipation. We get together on the 4th of July because that's when we're off. Because 4th of July for them was not an emancipatory uh, moment in our family's history, which had been enslaved in other parts of the United States for much longer, much longer periods. Mm. Melanie, anything else to add? Yeah, I think, you know, when we think about these origin stories, I think there's so many people in Texas for whom this date has sort of concrete meaning. That is, it's a moment to think about your actual ancestors for those people who can trace them. And much of that, like um, Shadria and Melinda were both saying, is sort of passed down knowledge that we're lucky enough now to be able to corroborate uh, with stories. Some people won't be able to corroborate, right? So it'll still be sort of family um, mythology, but it all dates back to this moment specifically where the people in this region and Louisiana to a large extent as well, were, were found out a piece of information about whether or not their freedom would ever be felt in their lifetime. So it's pretty important to think about. There is this connection in this, for me, of being able to celebrate you know, every holiday is made up, you know, in my, in my mind. Right. So you making up for, for, for taking a quote made up holiday, you know, as some people call it, but as a time for you to personally celebrate your family, identify the connection that your family has to a particular date, to a different experience in history. I think there's something powerful in that. And when we come back, I want to dive a little bit more deeper and talking about how this cultural holiday and experience manifests in where it was started, and then also talk about then how do we move forward in this connection now that it's a federal holiday. So on the other side of the break, we'll dig deeper on that. And I have a special guest to join us. The award-winning, wonderful Stephanie Mills will be joining us because this weekend for Juneteenth, she released her new single that is related and we'll bring her into the conversation to talk about why she decided to do that. And we'll be back with more of Sunday Civics right after the break. Let's do the right thing. Yeah, yeah. We all win in the end. Oh, yeah. Let's do the right thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We all win in the end. Welcome back to we Sunday Civics. I have a special treat for you. I don't know if you know of this person. 
maybe you do. Maybe you sing her songs in the shower. Maybe you have had one of her songs as part of your, you know, family tradition, your family uh, reunion or something. I know that I am super excited because the way that I sing her songs at home with my broomstick as my mic, (laughs) I am so happy to have her on Sunday Civics for this occasion. Joining us is the wonderful songwriter, singer, award-winning Stephanie Mills is on Sunday Civic. I can't believe it. Hello. How are you? Thank you so very much for taking a moment to join us. And I know we're going to get to the single. We're going to talk about this connection to Juneteenth. But Miss Mills, I have a question for you. Okay. It's something we ask every guest that comes to what we call the front of the class at Sunday Civics, where we teach civics, we teach civic engagement and political activism. I want you to think, what was your first civic action? Oh my God. I was probably (laughs) a little girl because my mom was like an activist and didn't really know it. So if Mm. we saw like policemen back in the day accosting someone, my mother would have my father stop the car and we'd get out and ask, what are you doing? What's going on here? Why are you holding this person? So it was, I was very young. I was very oh. young. I was brought and up I can, in a household. I can understand and making that connection because you grew up in Bed-Stuy, didn't you, in um, I, uh, Brooklyn? Yes, I grew up in Bedford-Stuyvesant. Yes, and sure did. I can remember during that time, just, you know, thinking about sort of the time that would have been, there was a lot of activism and movement regarding law enforcement accountability, regarding police brutality during that time. And so I bet we, yeah, I bet we can dive deep and, you know, see the connection of your family who I know was at Cornerstone, I think it was. Cornerstone Um, Baptist Church. My parents were uh, deacon and deaconess for 25 years. Yeah. So I can definitely probably, we could probably do a whole episode just on your parents and their activism. Oh, uh, yes. Absolutely. My mother was no joke. She didn't play. (laughs) But the reason why we have you on for this very special occasion is that you have released during this weekend, and we're talking about Juneteenth, but you released a song, a single for this weekend. I want to give you an opportunity to talk a bit about it. Uh, Let's do the right thing. It's a song about us, for us in our community, where I want Black people to come together and do the right thing for us. I just feel like sometimes and at this point we're looking for people to do for us we have to do for ourselves come together lift each other up show each other love stop being crabs in the basket in the in the in the basket and stop the black on black crime stop killing each other we're killing each other more than others are killing us and i just wanted to to do a song about and that reflected the time and it was brought on because i had decided never to record again so it was brought on by Charles Wright, who's a, a renowned uh, director, and he asked me to do a song for a show. And that didn't work out, so we extended it. And with my writing partner, uh, Marcus, we went in the studio and uh, wrote the song and he produced it. So I'm really, really happy with it. And now I've recorded and have done, well, we've got four more songs to do, but I've recorded like seven or eight songs. Okay, I just want to stop for a minute that you were saying that you wasn't going to record nothing, Miss Mills. <laughs> well, you know why? You know why? Because I come from an era where there's live music. 
Mm-hmm. I couldn't work with a producer that just did beats. I'm mm-hmm. not a beat kind of girl. So I need real live instruments, live guitar, live bass, live drum, because I, I sing live, you know. So I didn't know if I'd be able to work with somebody like that. But I had a, a gym in my own in my own backyard. Well, we're going to play the song for folks on the show, but it's released this weekend during Juneteenth. Was there a design for this? Absolutely. The reason why it be released as when you at this time? Absolutely. This is when we became free. We were no longer slaves, even though I still feel like we are. Um, But I wanted to release something on a historic black uh, event that was important to me because I think we should realize how important we are and how special we are and that we're, we're just royalty and we should conduct ourselves like that. I, I definitely agree. And given all that activists and organizers and even, you know, people, individuals, the deacon, deaconess in our community are um, <laughs> advocating for. And, you know, this misnomer, this misnomer that often gets repeated, we're talking about violence in general in our communities, yes. right? Violence right. inflicted upon us and violence that we inflict upon others. And, you know, helping to raise the conversation that, you know, It's always amazing to me and people say nobody's talking about this or nobody's organizing about violence. And I'm like, you don't live here because people do it all the time. There are churches talking about the violence we afflict on each other, you know, all the time. There are organizers and individuals who are talking about that all the time. It just so happens that the press only picks up, you know, what they believe sensational and not the ongoing activism that is happening within our communities. Absolutely. And I know that you, in talking about the single, have been talking about wanting to give something positive to our community. Why was that important for you to give something positive? Because we have been terrorized these last couple of years with the other president and then the pandemic and then everything. If you watch the news, you would be so depressed. So I wanted to show love and get love and give a breath of fresh air. Let's do the right thing. Let's sit down and talk come together because we all win in the end. And that's what my song is talking about. If we just sit down and talk, we can work out our differences. I I love it. Now, did you have, now that Juneteenth is a federal holiday, you know, I'm talking with the other guests before the break, and we're going to talk in depth a little bit more about the Juneteenth holiday. You know, I grew up here in New York and Brooklyn as well. And, you know, I really can't remember having a cultural experience celebrating Juneteenth. You know, in Brooklyn, we got our own holidays. I I was was just lamenting to someone that, you know, Brooklyn Queens Day no longer exists and and celebrates um, in Brooklyn, but what for your family, for your children, who I know are very much activists, you know, and engage themselves, what are the cultural holidays or specific that you keep close for your family and celebrating who they are and who Black people are, not only in this country, but worldwide? I like to celebrate when Rosa Parks uh, sat on the bus you know, Mega Everest, when he was so prominent in doing his uh, social and, and outgoing research to Black people. I like to remember what our heroes have done, your Martin Luther Kings of the world, your Malcolm X. You know, I like to remember and I teach my son about that Fannie Lou Hammer and, and people like that. We have done some incredible 
things. We built this country. We built this country and they 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 are dishonest when they don't teach it in the in the history books. They don't teach that, you know, a black man created certain things and built built the white that we built the White House. You know, it was slaves that built the White House. We did a lot of things that we do not get credit for. And I and I don't like that. I I really don't like that. Well, I want to thank you so much for giving us this gift for this weekend and giving us this positive, giving us this music to be part of our family traditions and our community traditions in celebrating who we are, celebrating our positivity and what we have given not only to this country, but to this world. Um, And (laughs) and I want to thank you for taking an opportunity to come here in front of the class on Sunday Civics and sharing your voice and your talents and your brilliance with us. Thank you so very much for taking the opportunity and the time. Well, we are going to take a break. And when we come back, I'm going to bring back Shadria, Melanie and Melinda. And we're going to dig deep on Juneteenth and talk more about what it means now as a federal holiday, but also I want you to get a little bit of education on how Texans celebrate Juneteenth, even for those of you who have not celebrated in the past. So we'll be back with more of Sunday Civics. How can it be that you love the most We are back. Thank you very much to Stephanie Mills. That was wonderful. That was so wonderful (laughs) Uh, to have her join us. But I have back Shadria, Melanie, and Melinda. We're talking about Juneteenth. I want to start. How do Texans celebrate Juneteenth, y'all? Well, everything in Texas is celebrated with barbecue. We should say that. If there's no barbecue, there's and I and I don't mean like hamburgers and hot dogs. Like Texas, we feed that to children in pits. Like we, I mean, I mean like brisket and ribs. And I don't even eat any of that stuff. But briskets and ribs, and you know, it's a huge celebration and watermelon and all of these things. But when I was a kid, Juneteenth across the city, there would be parades. There was a Miss Juneteenth pageant, which we used to go to every year. Um, at the local park, the city park, there would be a week long set of concerts with like blues and gospel singers or at Emancipation Park, which is the oldest um, black park, which um, was set up at Emancipation in the city of Houston. There would be concerts, there would be outdoor plays and festivals. And so it was a really big deal, not just within your own individual families where you often had smaller family barbecues, but it was a citywide experience and expression of what this day actually meant. Shadra, you have a similar experience? Absolutely. Like I remember, I mean, I'm from Dallas, so... You know, we would do uh, like Glendale Park, Keith Park. They would just be full of people doing barbecues. Um, you know, uh, the the red drinks and the watermelon and the brisket and the grilled hot dogs and potato salad. And I don't eat potato salad. I don't eat a lot of things, but that's a different story. <laughs> okay, um, wait, 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 no. wait, wait, <laughs> wait. <laughs> That's the strict. No, no. Twitter is a whole, like Twitter is constantly dragging me because there's a whole list of stuff I hate. But um, but you know I remember the the Miss Juneteenth and like the the woman Channing Peoples who directed the movie. She's from Fort Worth and that was a really big thing right. in DFW. 
um, because I can't forget Fort Worth or like, you know, the Juneteenth, um, you know, because again, my grandfather, he would always be, you know, he was, you know, into livestock. Like I remember um, like farmers and ranchers would do their own thing. And I remember it being distinctly very black. Like I don't remember Mm -hmm. this being something above like north of the trinity this being a thing this was very much like a oak cliff south dallas uh you know pg kind of thing and so um and then my grandmother like she would also take that as an opportunity to break out family photographs and she's like this is you know this was my grandmother and she told me about this story and that story or these were my uncle my great uncles who did the chisholm trail and that kind so it was it was an opportunity to kind of break break out the photos and just tell the history that the history books never told now that uh melinda now that Juneteenth is a federal holiday, and it's going from uh, regional or state-based to now a national holiday. And there are all of these conversations happening on social media, uh, again, that I participated in and was like, nobody asked for this, <laughs> but there was someone who asked for this, right? But because I'm skeptical, I also shared how, you know, I'm not going to participate in the capitalistic um, nature that happens around holidays, right? Which is, let me sell you something, let me advertise something to you to celebrate something that should be important to, you know, that's important to you. I was like, I'm marking them ads as offensive. Like, I was just like, you know, how as 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 people who celebrated Juneteenth, that it is personal to you, to your family, to the connection. How do you think making that jump from state or regional to national? How should we think about how we celebrate in that instance? So we probably have all attended some awkward Juneteenth celebration outside the state of Texas by this point. Um, but I have to say, you know, going into um, uh, a big box retailer and seeing a Juneteenth t-shirt for sale was a bit startling. I literally stopped it, stopped in my tracks. The worst part about it is that it was ugly. Um, so all those things in my Facebook cooking group that I'm on for a very popular cookbook, someone posted a, an emancipation breakfast cake that had blueberries and I never had a blueberry. I didn't even know they grew in Texas probably until I was an adult, the only blueberry things I had were blue neon drinks that were called blueberry flavored. Um, so there is a, a bit of, um, a, a bit of, you know, sort of growing pains for those of us who have traditionally celebrated the holiday. I think also, you know, over the years we have become defensive about Juneteenth because it's not just that people didn't know what Juneteenth was. There was also a bit of mockery um, where people would say, why would you celebrate getting the news late? And I was like, well, if you're enslaved, who cares when you get the news that you're free? Um, so there, there is a little bit of those of us who have been celebrating it all our lives who want to hold on to it. But, you know, I'm sitting, to, sitting talking to you um, in, in central Kentucky where I'm a professor at the University of Kentucky. And last year, our president decided that we would celebrate Juneteenth. Um, as, as a holiday for the university before the national law was passed. And, and now I'm trying to reconcile myself to the idea that was some, similar to something you mentioned earlier, Joy, which is that I think people should take the national holiday and make it local. 
right? And that they should think about what is the history of slavery in this place? So in, for, for instance, in Kentucky, in Western Kentucky, black people in that part of the state actually celebrate something called August 8th day, where they celebrate them getting the news about emancipation in August 8th of um, 1865, um, because Kentucky actually did not abolish slavery until December after the Emancipation Proclamation was signed. So there are lots of different histories of enslavement that need to be told. So you should do what feels good to you locally. So we're not going to have blueberries, for instance, at my house, you know, but we will. I'm going to make greens today. You know, I, I will, you know, I don't feel like being bothered with a pit, but I will cook some meat, you know, and I will talk to my my child and show him the picture of my great grandmother who is on my wall. Um, so I think you need to make it yours. Um, and don't let it be our holiday that you celebrate where you try to replicate something that may have been done in Texas, right? There was slavery everywhere in the United States. And in those places, there is something to be learned um, and to be um, celebrated about those people who endured yeah. and kept living so we could be who we are. Shadria, you know, what comes to mind is a couple of weeks ago, when nationally everybody was talking about Tulsa, I think every channel you turn to the History Channel and the PBS and somebody's YouTube channel, everybody had their own documentary on Tulsa, right? To you know, to explain it, and then every politician had a comment, and then the banks had a comment. Like everybody and their mama had a comment about Tulsa, and you know, I was talking to you know clients of mine and others, and I said it's fine, it's great to acknowledge that because that's part of the national conversation. But then we're talking about a New York campaign, a New York race. I was like, instead of having a conversation about Tulsa, let's walk over to Central Park and have a conversation about the community that was demolished in order to build Central Park. Right. Let's let, let's let's make it local. Right. We can acknowledge that. Yes, this is the national conversation, but we make it local and talking about it's not just over there where it happened, but it happened here, too. And let's have a conversation about Seneca Village and how we can make the connection uh, here in New York. I know you had some commentary about that as well. Well, you know, I've said that on Twitter for a couple of weeks. I'm like, you know, uh you know, to to your point, I, I mean, and it hasn't gone over so well, but I don't care um, because I've, you know, had to tell people, like, I think it's great that you're talking about Tulsa and Juneteenth. But, you know, your voice as like non non Texans, non Oklahomans, people who did not remain because it means something to stay. You can't speak for them. You can't speak over them. Right. Like that. That has lots of problematic overtones. Um, and it's a flattening of blackness that then we get upset about, right? Like all black people are not the same, which is true, which means that their histories aren't either. And I think, you know, I've been saying on social media that I think that, you know, there's a lot to be said about Seneca Village, which was a black community completely displaced to create Central Park that has, has ties to what's happening to the displacement in Harlem and Bed-Stuy and now Brownsville, um, you know, that's a direct link. Um, Red Summer in Chicago, um, 1919. Like there are these, these really, really traumatic and violent histories of, of white people um, 
you know, violently um, resisting progress and humanity. And, you know, Tulsa, I think what's been interesting to watch with that, and I see the same thing with Juneteenth, is that, you know, so much of that celebration and uh, like on the national platform with advertising and and programming was coming out of the coast, coming out of New York or LA ad agencies or creative firms. And they were flying people in to talk about Tulsa. Um, and I just, I found it so deeply problematic and, and just such a, such a, so emblematic of late state capitalism where I feel that there are a lot of people mortgaging black histories that don't belong to them to sell them. Um, you know, and I think that we really, and I think that when I, when I say it doesn't belong to them, I mean, they weren't stewards of it. They didn't keep it alive. They didn't maintain and tend those oral archives and oral histories. And, um, it means something to stay when you've been, uh, threatened every generation with your life. And I think that to center those voices we have, we, we, it's not all the same, you know, to stay, it means something, it, it costs something. And yeah. I think that when we don't center the voices of the people who stayed, what's the, well, why are we doing this? Yeah. Melanie, I know that as, you know, professor, both in political science, both having done work, you know, as an investigator, as part of the African-American initiative at Prairie View, and in talking to folks that are historians, you know, on the history and contributions of people of African descent in, in this country, for one, business is booming, right? For people, right, right to be right. able to come and talk about it's just like, tell us about blackness, right? <laughs> like, tell us right, like right, every right. story, mm -hmm. every, you know, and then they want to bring you in. I can't tell you the amount of requests that I get to talk about random things. And I'm like, I have no, no connection to that or no scholarship to that. Maybe you should, you know, speak to this person or, you know, or this person, but we also know everybody ain't turning that down, you know, no. to really, uh, to, to really have that conversation, right? So following Shadria's line of thinking in terms of how now Blackness is now big business for right. people, and, and particularly given the summer that we had and the election cycle that we had, what are your feelings on <laughs> the big business of Blackness? You know, I don't know uh, what to make of this. One of the things that Shadria and Melinda both pointed to is that in Texas and other places where this is celebrated, it is a not just a holiday, it is a particularly black holiday, right? There is no universal Texas understanding of Juneteenth, right? So if you talk to white people in Texas even about what Juneteenth meant to them, it would mean nothing almost to them <laughs> unless they knew black people who were talking about the holiday or a black person who worked with them had on a Juneteenth t-shirt that their cousins all went together together in and had printed, not something they got from Old Navy. Right. And so part of what's happening is that lots of the marketing of Juneteenth is happening by people who even white people in the state of Texas wouldn't even be doing this, right? Mm, and so right. it's trying to understand what it means, not just for sort of black people who don't know about the holiday, but also white institutions, organizations. I mean, 
I love the New York Times. They have published lots of things that I, that I have written. But also, if you look at their Juneteenth celebration, it's Questlove, Esperanza Spalding, and Brooklyn's very own some other group I've never heard of. And I'm not <laughs> saying that all those people are not awesome. I would love to right, know every right. single one of them. But I am willing to argue that almost none of them five years ago had heard of Juneteenth. Mm. And have no connection to it whatsoever. When there are lots of celebrities who are from Texas who have a memory of this. I guarantee mm. you Beyonce does. I guarantee you Loretta Devine does. I guarantee you Jennifer Holliday, who is right there in New York City, does. I guarantee you those people have concrete memories of Juneteenth being celebrated in their own families, in their own lives. And wouldn't it be interesting if you talk to people who everyone now knows about what this thing that other people are discovering actually meant to them if you wanted brand on it, right? I saw a tech yeah. conference where Tyrese is going to sing and talk about businesses for their Juneteenth event. What does Ty... About... Okay. I don't even, um, I don't even listen, know. I don't even I, know. Let this me tell you what I was looking tell. forward this to. This thing that is so hard for Texans right now that are so yeah. hard for people who grew up in this because it wasn't... People act like the entire state celebrated this. It was just something within Black communities that they had mm. this time to sort of savor. They had this time to think about it. They had this time to really sort of reflect. And so it's very hard when anything becomes commercialized. I teach yeah. at a historically Black college that was created, you know, in the post-Reconstruction land-grant era. And when we have, we have Juneteenth celebration on campus every year. It happened yesterday. And when we do that, it's because we sit on a on a site that was a former plantation where people were emancipated on June 19th, 1865. That's tangible. It's physical, right? And so then to say, oh, you want your Juneteenth t-shirt from Old Navy, it's like, oh, you are you are hurting my aunt. I told, as I said on Facebook today, you are hurting my generational Juneteenth feelings. Yeah, yeah. And well, I, you know, I recognize too, once you put a thing out, you can't control yeah, it. Yeah. Once it, be, you can't control it, and so it has to happen. These things, and there will be years for us where we will complain about this, and then maybe my great nieces, maybe my great nephews, they'll only know it as a play, as a thing that's a federal holiday. Mm -hmm. I don't know what it will look like for them, but for yeah. me, it's like I'm still trying to. Yeah. Still yeah. like get off my lawn. <laughs> well, I feel like it's this, this, uh, I think Melinda said this about, you know, on the one hand, you know, this is something that was personal to you and your family, and it's going to continue to be personal to you and the family, and you're going to continue to celebrate in that way. Mm -hmm. You are also um, of the mind. I've read the story and read a couple of stories about Miss Opal Lee, who actually, mm -hmm. you know, put this forward in order to make it a federal holiday. And there's some pride of reading yeah. her story, hearing her civic action that in her 80s <laughs> decided that this is what I'm going to move forward to to make this a federal holiday. So the, on the one hand, to be like, here comes the commercialism and the capitalism. But on the other hand, be like, oh, this is so great. You know, um, and, and, and so that, that balance. But, you know, ultimately, I feel deep about this is about any holiday, about any time off is like, what are you doing to ensure that it's meaningful to you, your family, you know, and your generations? I feel the same way about Black History Month. Black History Month, I feel like every Black History Month, it's just like the capitalism gets stronger. 
<laughs> you know, like with every with every well, we year. We know people as a, in our community, right? Who they talk about Black History Month as their most lucrative month of the year. Yes. Right? Yeah. So I mean, they even, get all their speaking engagements. What they make in Black History Month adds up to sort of what they make in speaking engagements for the entire rest of the year. Some of them. And so we know that there has always been this. And I'm saying, hey, get your money. But also what I hope is that what you're also doing is not just telling the stories that everyone already knows and not and not just telling the stories that we hear all the time, but sort of reaching in to tell stories about people like Opal Lee, who people would not have heard of, like telling stories about um, the communities where, I mean, if you can't be that community, can you at least tell some of their stories and not just use everything that is Black writ large to tell your story or to make it an experience that is particularly about the coast or that is particularly about a particular place that has nothing to do with all Black people. Acknowledge that Blackness is bigger than your knowing of it. Yeah. And I think for even for us as as family, as people of African descent, right, mm -hmm. you know, we, we want to be expansive and invite everybody. But at the same time, we have to do so without collapsing everybody's experience and culture into this flatness, I think, uh, is the phrase that Shadria has used. Right. Like that there is this like central theme and. It's one of the reasons why I hate the ancestry commercials, right? When, you know, people do, you know, it's like, I got my DNA and I'm Nigerian. And then they put, and this is a gay lay. And I'm like, <laughs> you know, like I'm always, you know, because I'm like, you know, heritage and culture is different, right? Culture is what you experience, what you've gone through. There, I have a culture as a black girl in New York, which is different, you know, definitely than a black girl in Texas, right? Like what, there is a different culture you experience. There's a hip hop culture. Hip hop culture in the South is different from hip hop culture in the West and in New York, right? So there, we, we experience many different cultures at the same time. Um, and then you also add your identity as being black, as being, I mean, maybe you are Caribbean, maybe you're from an island, maybe, right? And so there's what you experience and then there's where your people came from. Just even thinking about when you say where you came, where your people from you say oh I grew up here but my people originally from North Carolina and then heritage you know is you know as much as we can trace back is you know is X Melinda you had something to add if Juneteenth can do and that being a national holiday should do anything it should remove any stigma that remains for black people in the diaspora around the experience of enslavement so when I travel abroad, sometimes people will say to me, I say to them, I'm a descendant of slaves from the United States. And they'll say, I'm sorry. And I mm. say to them, thank you for your apology, but I come from good people. So I think that there is something to be proud of that our people made it and we're still here. Um, you know, in the video thing I did for the university, I said from five generations, we went to picket cotton to me being the highest level of professor at a research one university. That's something to celebrate. And at, at least black people should be free to eat watermelon without judgment in public. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> well, ladies, we could talk about this. Oh, my goodness. So, you know, I'm having in, each of you individually on for different topics for your brilliance. Um, but as we wrap up here, I want to give those who are listening some action steps. So from the Texan in you to the folks nationally who are listening, what is something that you think you want them or, or give them an advice, give them advice on what they should do with their family you know, or with themselves and their friends to celebrate or take this celebration on as their own. Melanie, I'll start with you. What I would think would be a great way to celebrate Juneteenth is for you all to find the oldest relative you have and ask them their story. What was their childhood like? To ask the name of their parents. What do they remember about their great grandparents? Because so much of this stuff is passed down. We don't have anybody writing it down. We have the opportunity for people to be archivists, as Shadria says, in their own lives and in their own families. Go ask them what it was like. So they may have never been enslaved, but what was it like for them in the 1910s and the 1920s? And record it so you can show it to other people in your family. Because Juneteenth is about lineage. It's about passing down of knowledge. It's a holiday that was passed down from generation to generation before anybody ever recognized it. Shadra? You know, I I love specificity. And I, I wanna, like, I love what Melanie said because I, I agree with it. I also think that people should do this, um, you know, research Black Texans. You know, there's a reason why it took so long for people to know that this was a real history. And people thought it was fake and for a long time, or, you know, rather disbelief. So I think, um, you know, there's a tremendous wealth of Black history. There's the Buffalo Soldiers Museum. There's Black Galveston. There's um, you know, Alvin Ailey is a son of Texas. Like, I really encourage people to better understand Black history, um, understand um, why the Alamo was was fought. The Alamo was fought, you know, because Texas wanted slavery and Mexico did not. And and I, it doesn't seem like that's about, you know, Juneteenth, but it is. And I think it's really a, a dearth of understanding the Black contribution to Texas, given, you know, the outsized influence that Texas has, even on how this country's history books are written if you're in public schools. Melinda? Um, so I'm going to be less specific, even though I really love what Shadria and Melanie have said. But, you know, I want us to remember the 13th Amendment that um, banned slavery in the United States and remember that there's an exception to that amendment that allows people to be treated like slaves as part of criminal punishment. And in our story of, you know, the ongoing debate around criminal justice reform, when we talk about emancipation, I want us to talk about what it means to emancipate people who have served their sentences when duly convicted and how we incorporate them back into our daily lives. What are we doing to make sure that people who are incarcerated are not treating it, treated in inhumane ways? Right, so there's a in the area where, where our family was on a plantation. There's a large state prison where people still work crops in those fields, and that's true in a lot of southern states. So I want us to think about what is the emancipation, or who are the people who are yet to be emancipated in the black community, 
and think about them as part of our conversation of Juneteenth. Well, thank you to each of you. Oh my goodness, I have a brilliant network. You guys are brilliant. You ladies are brilliant. And I look forward to having you back individually as we deep dive into the additional topics that you are all brilliant on. Um, Because we are multifaceted. We can talk about lots of things and we have expertise in a lot of things. So thank you so very much for answering the call and joining us for this conversation for your beloved Juneteenth. And I want to thank each and every one of you in our Sunday Civics community for joining us for this conversation. We'll be back next Sunday with more of Sunday Civics. Till then. Oh.